Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. That is who he is. I was thinking while they were singing, I was, uh, today's Dylan's birthday. Dylan was the guy in the middle there uh, with the glasses. And, and Dylan, uh, Dylan got baptized my first Sunday as pastor here at River City. He was the only, the only kid his age here until Adriana came. And, uh, and then I, I think to myself, wow, what, is, what God has done here is amazing uh, to see uh, these young people and the children and so many uh, families and just people that God has brought along. It's been, been a blessing, and I thank the Lord for what he's done. He is absolutely uh, a way maker, isn't he? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 13. We continue on the study of these parables. This will be... The last of the kingdom parables that we look at before moving on. I was so excited laying out the rest of the, the year of preaching and uh, looking that right after this passage of scripture, after these parables, Jesus is going to go uh, off of the Sea of Galilee and he's going to push over into the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Starting next week, we're going to see that story unfold. Some of the great stories of the life of Jesus are coming up in the next uh, three, four, five weeks at church. So I cannot wait to share those with you. But now we're going to look at this last part of Matthew chapter 13 where we've been for a number of weeks. And we're going to look beginning at verse 44 where the Bible says again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Amen. This is God's word. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, the value of the gospel. The value of the gospel. Let's pray together. God, would you please work in this place, and would you... Do, the, as the song said, mend hearts and heal, bring salvation, bring perspective. May you teach us and may we listen in Jesus' name, amen. Amazon has become a household name for virtually everybody in the world. What a deal. Okay, we all love Amazon, I think. We all uh, have benefited from the conveniences that Amazon has brought into our lives. And isn't it crazy just to think, I mean, you go back uh, a quarter of a century, 30 years, 
and there's no such thing as Amazon. It has so radically changed our lives for the better. The founder and former CEO of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is the richest man in the entire world. He's so rich that recently he decided to take some of his wealth and take a little ride into outer space. And that's what he did. He shot up in a rocket and descended back to Earth. And, uh, you know, it must be kind of cool to have that kind of money, just decide you're going to make a ship and go up in the ship and descend from the ship. It's no surprise to any of us how wealthy Jeff Bezos is. I think he is worth around $400 billion, I think. It's just unfathomable to think how much money the man has. He has no end of mansions and properties all throughout the United States. He owns three connected apartments, making it a townhome in Manhattan Century Building. In 2017, he bought the largest and most expensive house in the state of Washington for $23 million. He also has purchased a Beverly Hills estate at $12.9 million, not including his actual home in Medina, Washington, uh, that he purchased for $12.9 million. Not to mention all the land in West Texas that he owns and all of the property, all of the investments, and all of the things that come with being that rich. One thing evidently that also comes with being that rich is the realization that you don't have a whole lot of time to spend the money and the resources that you have. And so Jeff Bezos along with many other millionaires have decided to take their millions and invest them into biotechnological companies. In fact, his primary investment of $116 million dollars was placed into a company called Unity Biotechnology. And the purpose of this company, according to their website, listen to this, is to potentially halt, slow, or reverse age-associated diseases and restore human health. Or maybe I'll say it like this. He's trying to find a way to eliminate death and to perpetuate life. Or you may say it like this. He's trying to purchase immortality. Well, I've got some really, really good news for Jeff. Immortality and eternal life is not something to be purchased. Immortality and eternal life is something that has already been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in John, 1 John chapter 5, this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things have I written to you that believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is already a thing. Eternal life is already free. And eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, nothing is more valuable in all the world than the gospel and the message of the kingdom of God. Through Christ, God offers to us an eternal and everlasting life that has no end. And Jesus has now left the teaching with the Pharisees. Back in verse 36, he sends the multitude home. And now he has come into a house. And inside this house, he's now gathered with his disciples. Now you got to remember... Jesus has just said some extraordinary things to the Pharisees about the nature of the kingdom. 
And now he gathers his disciples into this house and having explained what the kingdom was and what the kingdom looks like, now in a very small batch he's getting ready to teach these disciples just how valuable the kingdom really is. And and folks, i got to tell you, today we need to understand how valuable the gospel is in our lives. We need to understand what it means that we have Jesus. And our lives should be lived out as if we actually value the gospel of Jesus like God does. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is that the gospel is more valuable than all possessions. The gospel is more valuable than all possessions. And this is found in verse number 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hid in a field, which a man found and hid. So let me stop right there and try to explain this. This is a little bit of an unusual uh, statement. I don't think that God necessarily wants you to go out and be, you know, one of those uh, people on the beach looking for treasure necessarily. But that while some people may find a few things that are valuable uh, doing metal detecting at the beach, that's not really what is going on here. In this day, in the Bible, uh, people were very nomadic, first of all. There was a lot of traveling that took place. Sometimes there were even uh, 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 countries that invaded their country, and so they had to uh, be deported or leave very quickly. Uh, also, there weren't such things as safety deposit boxes and, and large banking institutions to protect your assets. And so oftentimes, people would take their heirlooms or their treasures literally and find a place on their property and bury them. Sometimes, these families would have to leave so quickly that they were never able to get their stuff. And in some cases, their stuff and their valuables were long gone, long forgotten, and never to be discovered again. However, in time, certain people would go and work these fields. They would go and perform their duties. Likely this guy was digging in a field like I just described, and he stumbled on a treasure. This treasure could have been from a previous uh, relative. It could have been from uh, somebody he did not know. But nonetheless, here's what he does. He finds the treasure, and he digs it up, and the Bible then says he then goes and hides it. In other words, he went and hid it somewhere else on the same piece of property so that nobody else would do what he did. Nobody else would find it. And then the Bible says what he does from there is he goes and sells everything, look at this, that he had and bought it. Bought what? Bought the land. So here's a guy that has these possessions over here. He's got money, he's got land, he's got things. Watch this. And when he realizes that what's in that field is more valuable than everything that he owns and has... He is going to sell out everything that he has, and he's going to go purchase this land. And by purchasing the land, he's going to get the treasure that is in the land with it. In other words, he made an evaluation. Come on. What's in this land is more valuable than what's in that land. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? And folks, i got to tell you, what is in this land here is far less valuable than the land that God has prepared for you and me. The bottom line is this, no matter what I have, no matter what I own, no matter what stuff I've accumulated, it is nothing and means nothing. And the very fact of the matter is you can have everything this world could offer you and still be empty and you can have nothing this world has to offer you and still be full. Why? Because it's not what you have that matters, it's who you have that matters. Mark 8 says it like this, what shall profit a man 
if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Yet people do this all the time. They exchange their soul for their careers. And oftentimes in America, their careers are attached to stuff. Because their careers fund their materialistic projects. Y'all ain't hearing me this morning. In other words, I have to do what I do to fund what I want. And by the way, in churches historically, we've preached about materialism, or excuse me, worldliness, and we've, we've, we've sadly identified worldliness as a styling of clothing, as a hairstyle, or a style of music. And folks, i got to tell you, nothing can be further from the truth. What real worldliness is, is when I treasure possessions, when I treasure power, and when I treasure my own flesh above the things of God. And boy, do we have a plague of that today. We have a plague of people that literally value their cars, their stuff, their jobs, their clothing, their bank account, come on, their 401ks, and every Everything else in the world more than they value the Lord Jesus Christ. This man said, once I found what I needed, I sold it all out because none of it even mattered at all. So we've got to ask ourselves the question this morning. Do you realize how rich you are in Jesus? In fact, I was reviewing my notes this morning. This just cracked me up. At about 5.30 this morning, I literally laughed out loud by myself in the house. Nobody else was awake, just me, because I was looking at my sermon notes, and right beside of that statement that I just made, I put the hands raised emoji in my sermon notes. I thought to myself, I don't remember writing that. I don't even remember doing that. But whenever I said that, that must have hit me pretty well, because I thought to myself, that's worth a double hand up emoji. Do you know what you got when you got saved? Do you realize how rich you became when you got saved? For instance, Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, we receive the riches of his forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, we receive the riches of his mercy. Colossians chapter, y'all ain't even hearing me yet. Colossians 1.27 says, you receive the riches of Christ dwelling in your body by the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 2 verse 2 says you receive the riches of the full assurance of your faith in Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says we receive the riches of abundant life here to enjoy while we are alive in this earth. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says we received the riches of every need supplied by Christ Jesus. Romans 11 verse 33 says we received the riches of his wisdom and his knowledge imparted to us through the person of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 says we have received the riches of his spirit which gives us strength in our inner man to serve God. Oh come on. Ephesians 1:18 says it like this. You have received the riches of the inheritance of all the saints in Christ. Oh, like 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich I've got good news for you this morning you are rich for some of you that's really good news because you ain't materially rich but how many of you are glad to know that I might be poor here I might not have a whole lot here, 
I might not have everything I want here, but everything I want, everything I need, and all of my future eternity is rich in Jesus. Come on now. I'm rich in fellowship. I'm rich in relationships. I'm rich in purpose. I am rich in peace. I am rich in my church. I am rich in the word. I am rich because I can pray. I'm rich because I have joy. I'm rich because I have Jesus in my life. I'm rich. Gospel is more valuable than all possessions. Number two, the gospel is more valuable than all pursuits. Now look at the next verse here, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Pearls. Now, I, I don't know anything about pearls. I, I, what I've read and understand is that Today, obviously, there, there's value to them, but there's not near the value in pearls today as there were in pearls in this day. Historically speaking, uh, some of the most well-known historical figures would give some of the most extravagant gifts in pearls in this day. Um, there's a story of uh, Julius Caesar, I believe, giving a, a very large uh, gift to one of his wives in pearls that would estimate now in the millions of dollars. So this guy... This guy in the Bible here is a he's a he's a he's a pearl merchant. He's a jeweler. He's a tradesman. He's going around selling and bartering and look at him. It says here, it says here, seeking beautiful pearls. And then he finds a pearl of great price. Now, I have heard some people try to say that verse 45 is talking about Jesus being the great merchant. And the pearls being the church. And I got to tell you, I think that's the most whack explanation I've ever heard of anything in my life. That would certainly not fit the flow of Matthew chapter 13. Just like every other illustration of the kingdom, okay, the kingdom of heaven, uh, the person, the illustration, just because it's talking about a person now, doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden Christ has switched metaphors. I think it's very obvious what he's talking about here. He's talking about you and I. Watch it. People who, like this merchant, is seeking out beautiful pearls. Or let me, let me put it to you like this. In verse 45, we see he was seeking something. In verse 46, we find that he found something. Now, is it true that Jesus was seeking something and found something? Absolutely he was seeking you, you weren't seeking him. He found you, you did not find him. That is true. That is true. Absolutely true. But what is more true, I think, in this text, based upon everything else in Matthew 13, is that the pearl merchant is not Jesus seeking and finding us. The pearl merchant is us seeking things and coming up empty until we found the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price is the kingdom in this parable. And the pearl of great price is Jesus in this parable. And the answer really is this. What am I looking for? What am I pursuing outside of Christ? And the answer is it doesn't matter what it is. Anything that it is, however, is going to leave you empty. You can seek all you want. But outside of Christ, you will not find what you're looking for. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, I was of the circumcision. I worship God in spirit. I rejoiced in Jesus Christ. I have 
more confidence in the flesh than any of you. If anybody else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless as this. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I might gain Christ. Well, if you study that out, this is what you're going to find. The word gain and the word loss in Philippians chapter 3 are financial terms. It's like a spreadsheet, or excuse me, a balance sheet. It's like debits on one side and credits on the other. It's like gains on one side and losses on the other. Or I might say it like this. It's like liabilities on one side and assets on the other. And here's what Christ said, or Paul said, everything outside of Jesus is a liability and everything in Jesus is an asset. And he said, I gladly, watch this, threw it all away to pursue Christ. Let me, me, well, Paul said it like this, he calls it rubbish trash everything I pursue in my life outside of Christ his gospel and his kingdom is trash here's the thing it is trash the question is do you realize it's trash or are you heaping up in your life a big pile of garbage and you know what you do with garbage when you're done with it you throw it all away and I fear that many Christians in their pursuits with their life what they think is important is not that important at all and what really is important they don't think is important at all Howard Hendricks put it like this, the point of this parable is that the kingdom of heaven or the glad recognition of God's rule over the heart and life of his people represents for us the ultimate good for us, the ultimate glory to God, and this treasure satisfies the needs of our hearts but also it is us investing our lives in the kingdom, or in this case, the church. It is us giving our lives for God and the gospel and the glory of Christ. I'm not talking about something that is a pastor pursuit, folks. I'm talking about something that is to be the pursuit of everybody who's in the kingdom. Sometimes we've got this idea that, that Christians and pastors are different. No, no, I happen to be a pastor by calling or by profession, but at the end of the day, I'm just a member of the kingdom just like you. And here's what I want to tell you. It's not that I am supposed to be pursuing the kingdom. It is that you are supposed to be pursuing the kingdom. And if you're not pursuing the kingdom, then you are pursuing something that is a giant waste of time. And I want to tell you, friend, if we think pursuing the kingdom is showing up once a week on Sunday and God having really nothing else to do with the rest of our week or the rest of our lives I don't think we understand what the kingdom is this guy said when he found the pearl he sold everything else and went after the pearl for many Christians God is a sideshow church is an option (laughs) you know what's funny about some Christians They barked and barked and barked and barked about the church being essential. You don't, don't y'all close down the church. We have rights. 
don't y'all believe in the separation of church and state and freedom of religion and the free exercise thereof? And you know what's funny about you? You say that and then you don't even come half the time. Why do you care if the government shuts us down when the beach shuts you down faster? Or sports shuts you down faster? Come on. Don't y'all go home on me now. Or, or, or my career shuts me down faster. Or I'm tired shuts me down faster. Lord, you declared that the church wasn't essential long before Joe Biden did. And then you end up like Solomon. Pursuing everything else other than God, other than the gospel, other than church, other than God's plan. And what does Solomon say? Man, I did everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I had houses. I had plants. I had vineyards. I had stuff. And in fact, in verse 10, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 10, he said, whatever my eyes desired, I kept not back from them. I had an American Express Platinum card with no concern about what the bill was going to be at the end of the month. He could do what he wanted to do, buy what he wanted to buy, marry who he wanted to marry, have what he wanted to have. In Solomon's day, silver was like sand on the street. Gold, there was so much gold and so much silver and so much wealth and so much prosperity. You think, man, with all the girls and all the gold and all the stuff that Solomon had, he'd be the happiest guy on the planet. No. In verse 17, this is what he says. Right after saying all that, he says this. Therefore, I hated life. Some of us are living perpetually in U2's song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's nonstop. It's relationships here. This job here. This extra thing here, and oh, I'm not happy here, so let me, let me, let me, oh, let me, see, let me try something else here. And yet you're still singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, that may be because you haven't found the pearl of great price. Because when you find him, you will have found what you are looking for. So the gospel is more valuable than our possessions. The gospel is more valuable than our pursuits. And finally, the gospel determines the destiny of all people. The gospel determines the destiny of all people. This is the third parable that Jesus gives here. Look at this. I like this one because it has fishing ramifications, okay? Look at here, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast in the sea and gathered some of every kind. Now, now you know that in the Bible days, the predominant means of fishing was uh, netting. Now we use nets to catch bait, okay? That's what we use nets for. We don't really fish that way predominantly here, but this is definitely the way they fished there. You certainly see this was what the, the, the apostles did. When he said this, they would have knew exactly what he was talking about. They would throw these large, what called dragnets. Some of you old timers, you had that old show going through your mind right there, right? Or, wasn't there a show called Dragnet? I've never seen it, but I think there was. So, anyways, so they so threw out this dragnet, which, which simply meant drag the bottom, threw out a net that went all the way to the bottom. Then it was drug along, and when it got to a certain resistance, they knew it was filled, and they would pull it up. Now, now fishing is obviously a little different today. We call fishing in, in, in America, in the 21st century, we, call it, we also call it angling. Okay, now the word angling comes from the word hook. Okay, so people who are anglers fish with hooks. Okay, just a little lesson there. I thought you might appreciate that. So anyways, so the dragnet, though, this was, this was Mediterranean fishing in the first century. 
dragging along. This was how they got large loads of fish all at one time. And here's what the Bible says. The kingdom of heaven is like this. A dragnet is thrown out for fish. What did Jesus say to his disciples when he called them? You follow after me and I will make you fishers of men. So the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like us going out and throwing out the net as far as we can throw it. Bringing in as many as we could possibly try to bring in. And he says here, when the net comes in, then there's a sorting that takes place. Some things you get in you don't want. Some things you get in you do want. This happened to me last week. Okay, now listen, I was fishing with Wes over here. And uh, we were catching all kinds of little fish. And we said, you know what, let's go, let's go out. Let's go try to catch a big fish. So we, we stopped what we were doing. And we pushed out and went to the spot he had been to. And he had this big old giant pole. And... We, he, he put a whole crab on the thing. I mean, it was like, and the hook was like this big. I mean, if we caught anything, it was going to be like a whale, okay? So, I mean, I was excited. He tosses this thing out there. And, and I, I just, man, I just cannot sit still when I fish. I've, I've just got to keep fishing. So, he's got, he's got the lines out in the water. We're trying to catch a big fish. And I'm just sitting over there uh, with a little pole, and I'm slinging a shrimp out over by the docks. And literally, man, it was like every cast. Boom, I'm catching these little tiny called whitings, just these little, these little fish. And it was fun. And we had caught so many small fish that day, we just quit counting. I mean, we're just... I'm just catching, it's almost every, almost every cast, boom, boom, boom. And then, wham. And I looked at Wes and I said, oh, man, listen, listen, this is a big one. This is a big one. And I now, I start pulling my rods bent over almost at the water. And every time I start lifting up and reeling, I'm like, man, this is a mine. He's like, man, do you think you got one of those big red fish? I said, I don't know. And I'm just reeling. I'm getting all excited until... Until it broke the edge of the water and it was a stinking stingray. And the only reason it wasn't even that big of a stingray, but because they got those big, like, flaps. You try to pull them up through the water and the flaps are resisting the water. And I was so ticked. I am going to tell you right now. And I looked at him and I said, look, I ain't, gonna, I ain't about to become Steve Irwin here. That dude that got, you know, you know what I'm talking about? The alligator man. Okay, and there's no way, there's no way I'm pulling a stingray up in the boat. So I just literally took out a pair of scissors and cut the line and just dropped him, hook in his mouth and everything. Why? Because that stingray is absolutely worthless to me. There's certain fish I catch, I get in the boat, I take them home, and I flay them up, and I eat fish tacos that night. There's certain things you get in the boat, and you're like, nah, that's not what I'm looking for. Here's what Christ says. The gospel determines the destiny of all people. And as you're casting the net out, and people are coming in, people are coming to church, people are making professions... One day at the end of time, God's going to sort out the bag. Some are going to be like stingrays. Some are going to be keepers. And the warning is this. The gospel is supposed to be preached to every creature in every nation. We are supposed to be going. Guys, we have an opportunity in the next six or eight weeks to do our best to bring somebody to Hoosier one Sunday, first Sunday of November. Let's do our part. Let's throw the net out. Invite somebody to hear the gospel, share the gospel yourself. And as we try and gather and gather, here's the bottom line. What they do with that message ultimately determines their destination. And Christ says, it's the kingdom. The gospel is what sorts it all out. And the sad ending of this parable is this. That when the bad fish get thrown out, 
they are getting thrown out into hell where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Let me just stop here. Some, some of you are like, that's the second, I heard it, that's the second week in a row you said something about hell. Well, the reason is because it's the second week in a row Jesus said something about hell. And here's the problem that some of us have with hell, eternal damnation. We don't like it because it's not culturally acceptable. But you mark it down. If you don't like this kind of talk, you don't, you're not going to enjoy the rest of this series. Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. Did you know that? Did you know in the 27 New Testament books, 27, there are 270 plus references to hell, many of them out of the lips of Jesus himself. That is like 10 times per book. Let's say that I got in my right here, right now, and I drove 27 miles south of here, ended up whatever, somewhere like in Middleburg or something like that. So let's just say that from right here to Middleburg, downtown Middleburg was 27 miles from this spot to Middleburg. And I got in my car and I drove, and every mile there were 10 signs that said, stop, 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 warning, Warning, danger ahead, danger ahead. Folks, listen, I might miss one or two of them because I am terribly guilty of texting while I'm driving. I'm terribly guilty of not paying attention. I shouldn't have said that, should I? I'm terribly guilty of being distracted. Look, I know. But friends, listen, I'm not going to miss 10 per mile for 27 miles unless I'm blind. And if I'm blind, I shouldn't be driving. Let me tell you something, friend. You drive through the New Testament and you're going to see a stop sign every tenth of a mile that says, warning, 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 watch out, be ready. There's an eternal lake of fire. Now the best thing you can do about that is take heed. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you need to open up your heart like the front door of your house right now and you need to welcome Jesus in. You need to ask him to be your savior. He's the only Lord and savior of your life. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that died, was buried, and rose again. He is the answer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. In him you have eternal life. Without him, you don't. So what are you going to do with this offer? One of the most interesting stories from U.S. history happened in 1830. A guy by the name of George Wilson was arrested for robbing the United States mail and was given a pardon by the sitting president to which he declined. This case went all the way to the Supreme Court in 1830. The Supreme Court was basically asked, what do we do with a presidential pardon that was not accepted? And this was the ruling by the Supreme Court in 1883. Case number 32, United States versus George Wilson. This was the Supreme Court decision, I quote, A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, yet delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. Okay. God through Christ, has issued the pardon. The power has been delivered. That power has been set in the lap of every single person in this entire world. Here's an offer. Here is forgiveness. Here is a pardon. And yet, the delivery is no good without the acceptance. In other words, if you don't accept the offer, the offer is no good 
for you. How sad would it be to go to hell? The worst thing about people that go to hell is this. They never had to. Because salvation was available to them. And it's available to you. Let's pray together.